that I am honored to be up here to share with you guys the love and joy I have with Jesus. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Andrew, and I'm the Director of Student Ministries here at Grace Church. And some of you are probably like, this guy ought to be very nervous, and for good reason. Because if any of you guys heard me the last time I was up here, the first thing that happened is my microphone completely messed up, and I wish I was joking if I didn't say I just ran to get a replacement microphone, because that's just my luck. On top of that, I had a point that I completely just stared off into space and complete my last time I spoke up here. For those of you who are members of Grace, you guys know that I am filling in the shoes of some amazing preachers. I mean, Matthew and Steve are some of the best, and knowing I broke a microphone, they are the most gracious people ever. So just make sure you get to know them if this is your first time. Um, I hope that you get a sense of peace coming out of me. Not a peace that comes because I'm haughty and think I'm some great teacher, but a peace that knows that like all of us who are children of God, we have favor with him. And so I stand with you guys today trusting that God is choosing to speak through me. Now, I have an ongoing joke with my youth. I like to remind them that um, if I put them to sleep, or if I, they start thinking about lunch or dinner, I want to give you guys a main idea really early on, so that way you're guaranteed to learn something. And so if there's anything you get from today's message, I want you to know that peace is a gift that comes through Jesus. I don't know about you guys, but I can be anxious. I can be restless. I can get nervous. But I've learned that as I grow in my relationship with Jesus, as I really get a better picture of who he is, my sense of peace that he is in control grows more and more. We've been going through an Advent series entitled Unto Us. The idea of Advent is a season where we as Christians remember that Jesus came unto us that first Christmas morning as a little baby boy, and that one day he is going to come unto us again, revealing his full majesty, power, and glory. And as Christians, when we both look back and forward to Jesus coming and revealing himself to us, we are reminded of these Advent gifts, the gift of love, hope, joy, and peace. And today we're going to really reflect on this gift of peace that Jesus has given us, that through Jesus we have peace in our salvation, we have peace in our circumstances, and yes, we even have peace in our suffering. For those of you who have their Bibles, please turn to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, as I quickly pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, I do ask you to give me peace, trusting that your Spirit is working through me. I ask you to pour your Spirit upon everyone here, that they hear the good things that come from your Word, and they do feel comforted from it. In your very precious name, we pray. 
I know the men's Bible study has been digging through the book of Romans, but if you haven't been reading Romans lately, let me remind you of the first four chapters. Paul really wants to hammer one point in. We are not entitled to our relationship with God. I think that's something we forget when we are so involved in Christian community. We take for granted, we assume that it just makes sense that the all-powerful creator of the cosmos would also be a loving person who would choose to treasure us. It is, in fact, I think one of the most profound mysteries that God does love people like me. Um, choose love. Take, okay, I want you guys to be honest with yourself for a moment. If you were to ask yourself the question, am I the most humble and kind person at Grace here today, do you honestly think you would raise your hand? All right, let's ask an even serious, bigger question. Let's think of every human being, past, present, and future. Do you really think you would be in the top percentage of where God would be like, man, this guy deserves to be valued and treasure. This guy knows how to be a great human being. I don't think I would make the cut. But here's the good news of the gospel. God doesn't love us because of our achievements, by things we've done or things we're going to do. The good news of the gospel is that he chooses to first love us. This is our justification by faith. Paul tells us in chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this brings us to our first point. We have peace when it comes to our salvation with God. This word justification is important because when someone asks a Christian, why do you think you deserve to go to heaven? We can't tell them a list of our good deeds, a list of our accolades. We only have one thing that lets us stand with confidence. We say that we trust in God's love and character. That when we see what Jesus did on the cross so that we could be clean, we have confidence that we have been wiped clean by the blood of Jesus and we can stand before God with peace and confidence. What comforting news. I've been here enough that I am going to try to emulate Matthew and Steve a little bit. They are really great at finding out Greek words, and so I did look up, I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, so just if you're a Greek scholar, forgive me. Um, it's irene, but the important part is what it means. It means rest and contentment that comes from having a harmonious relationship with God. I cannot help but think of Jesus' words when he says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus is speaking to a crowd that has been beat up by religious people, saying, In order to be loved by God, you have to first be 
a good person. Do you ever feel that way? That in order to appease God, you have to try to be above the curve, be an above average human being, that you have to catch up with the Jonases? I think it's like our human nature to want to try to be better than other people. This idea even spoils Christmas. How many of you guys have seen a beautiful house decorated, and instead of being like, wow, your first thought is, now I have to go back to the store and get some more Christmas lights. Or who, even this morning, someone gave me a gift, and all I could think of in my head was like, "Mm, I didn't get them a gift. Instead of appreciating the gift, all I could think of is, I better come up with something to give them when I see them next. Even ministry. I start thinking to myself, are my events as festive as they were last year? Are they as fun and creative as my friends around me? We love to try to compare ourselves to the people around us. Last week, Matthew asked, I think, a really great question. Are we obedient, or do we find obedience to be a burden? And I think if we ask ourselves... The root behind this question, the answer is going to depend on your motivation. If you obey because you find God to be worthy of praise and honor and worship, I don't think you're going to find obedience to be much of a burden. But if you think that you need to obey in order to get God's love, if you feel the pressure that you need to be better than average to get God to love you, then you are going to feel the burden of obedience. It's interesting how people can have a passion, and then it becomes their career. Have you ever known those people? They have a passion, and then it becomes a career. And then all of a sudden, things that they enjoy just for doing becomes a justification for a paycheck, right? Like, for example, you have this athlete, and they enjoy the thrill of winning and competition. But then it becomes a job, and all of a sudden, now it's there. They need to win in order to maintain a lifestyle, right? Or maybe you're a really good musician, and you can create beautiful music. But instead of enjoying the creative gift God's given you, you start being more concerned about appeasing disgruntled fans, right? How often do these people turn away from doing things out of enjoyment and then it becomes more of a justification of how can they get their worth and value in the eyes of a critic? And I think to myself, how often do we do this with our faith? How often does our faith start as this beautiful gift from God, where we realize we had nothing to offer him, and he says, you are valuable and worthy in my eyes. We had nothing. But then God starts changing our heart, right? We start obeying. Instead of being thankful for God for making us more obedient, we start thinking, oh man, I'm a little bit better of a person. Maybe God loves me because I'm better than that other person. And then we start turning sanctification, a gift from God, into our own justification of why God should love us. 
we turn away from knowing that God is alone our peace and our salvation to thinking it comes from our obedience. Theologian John Calvin puts it this way, When anyone strives to seek tranquility of conscience by works, which is the case with profane and ignorant men, he labors for it in vain. For either his heart is asleep through his disregard or forgetfulness of God's judgment, or else is full of trembling and dread until it reposes on Christ, who is alone our peace. What John Calvin's trying to say is when we try to get peace with God by being good people, then either one, he says pretty boldly, this is John, not me, he says, you're being dumb. You're stupid because you're just ignoring all what the Bible says of what it means to be a good person, and you're not living up to it. And if you're not being dumb, then what you're doing is you're just living insecurity, insecurely the entire time. You know what the Bible says about what God's looking for. You know you don't measure up, but you're striving and striving and striving to try to be the person God wants you to. And John Calvin ends with saying, the only place we can have security and peace in our salvation is when we put it in God's hands, when we trust that it's more about God than ourselves. I can hear some of the pushback already. Some of you might remind me, Andrew, does it not say in the Bible that we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling? I hear some people saying, Andrew, don't you know that if you tell people that salvation is all about what Jesus does, people just will ignore obedience? Look, obedience is a good thing. I get that. Listen to Matthew's sermon last week. He does a great sermon to remind us obedience is good. But we have to always put it in the right order. Obedience needs to come from realizing how good God is. I think we're going to find more obedient Christians, not because we tell them they need to be obedient in order for God to love them, but when we tell people, think about who God is. Really think about the sacrifices Jesus made on the cross so that you could be saved. Really think about how majestic God is with his power and strength and his glory. Think of all of the blessings that you should have gratitude in. When we think about how awesome God is, I think our reaction is going to be wanting to obey more. I'm going to be even a little bit stronger. I believe that if you think you need to be obedient to get God's love, you actually can't be obedient. Because the first part about obedience is reflecting the love God has given you to others. How can you reflect that love when you're still striving to get it? How can you show a love to others you have not yet received? Obedience has to always start first by recognizing God's love and grace, and then it can be responded with obedience. And as we end this first point... This is not a sermon to, like, make you feel bad about yourself. This is a sermon to help you breathe and breathe out. Because all of a sudden, all that burden of trying to make yourself be good enough to be loved by God is out the window. You can trust that your salvation is securely in God's hands. Salvation is about putting faith and trust 
in God's character, not in thinking you have to achieve it. Paul continues in verse 2. Through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope for the glory of God. And I love how this verse really encapsulates both Advents. So, in Advent 1 slash point 1, through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Remember, our salvation is this. From the very first breath of Jesus to the very last breath of Jesus on the cross, he lived a perfect life. And what he did is instead of being like, look how great and awesome I am, he says, Father, give them my righteousness. When God looks at me, he doesn't say, this is all the things Andrew did. And say, so he says, look at all the things Jesus did for him. When we think of the first advent, we think that Jesus worked so I could be saved, and that should give me peace and my salvation. But advent two reminds us of our second point, which is that we can trust God in our circumstances. That when we are reminded that Jesus is going to one day return, we are going to have hope and peace because he is going to heal and redeem all of our circumstances. But for us to understand how good news that God is going to fix our circumstances, we first have to be honest about the circumstances we find ourselves in. It's a little bit bleak. The Bible teaches that as a church, we are to mourn with those who mourn. And I do think, in all sincerity, this is something Grace Church does really well. I've seen this past week, as we had brothers and sisters who have tasted the sting of death, this church came to grieve alongside them. And I am confident that everyone here probably has someone whose face they long to see this Christmas. Death is a part of the circumstances we find ourselves in. This is also a prayerful church. I've noticed prayer warriors praying ceaselessly for those who have disease and sickness or pain of the body. Because right now we all have bodies that are not eternal. They feel pain and suffering and we cry. And if we're honest, there are times we have hurt other people with our sin. And there are also times where we have been hurt either by the things that someone has said or done, or maybe just as powerfully by somebody's silence or neglect. We live in a messed up, broken world. But here is the thing that we are comforted by. Jesus is going to return. And when he returns, all this brokenness, all this sin that we see all around us is going to be redeemed and fixed. That when Jesus returns on the second advent, we are going to have a resurrection of the dead, and we are going to see our Christian family once again. And we are going to give eternal bodies, ones that will never shed a tear, never feel pain, never feel sickness. And we are going to have our hearts so close to God, we're not going to want to sin against other people, and they're not going to want to sin and hurt us. So often when we think of Jesus returning, 
We think of death, destruction, judgment, apocalypse. But we miss that all those things are leading to something beautiful. Healing and resurrection. We have peace, not because God promises that life is going to be easy for you now. If someone's taught you that before, I'm sorry. It's a lie to get numbers in the church. This life is difficult. It's broken. But God promises that one day it will be fixed. He is coming to fix it. If you are someone who lived an entire life from the moment you opened your eyes to the moment you die, full of tragedy and suffering... Here's the good news. For a Christian, that is only a blimp in your life. Because when you think about the trillions upon trillion years of eternity, that is nothing. The joy we have in our circumstances, knowing it's all leading us to something beautiful. How about you guys? I'm sorry, I'm going to make fun of my high school students a little bit. Sometimes high school students come up to you with problems, and you have to roll your eyes a little bit. Have you ever had a high school student come up to you and be like, Andrew, my life and future is ruined. I got a B instead of an A. Okay. Or maybe a high schooler comes up to you and like, Andrew, I'm obsessed with this new person. They are the most amazing thing ever. I was like, didn't you have an obsession with some other person just two weeks ago? Or have you ever played a youth group game? And they lost or felt betrayed, and they get bitter and salty, and then 20 minutes they get food in them and they completely forget about it. (laughs) We like to label these things high school drama, because in our ancient and bold ways, we know looking back on those things, they don't mean much, right? Here's what I've learned, that as I get older and I get more hindsight, more and more things become high school drama. For example, in college, I stressed all the time. I thought I was going to lose my scholarships. I wasn't going to get my degree. And now I'm standing here with the job I wanted, with my college degree, with the five people who graduated from Erskine, like Matthew. Those concerns don't matter anymore. Or, believe it or not, I was really, really stressed about, do I stay at my last church? Do I go to Grace? This was a huge source of contention. But now that I've been a part of this community, all that stress seems to have faded away. And yes, this week, was I a little stressed for our game night this Friday? Was I a little stressed about getting ready for this sermon? Of course I was. But you know what? Tomorrow, it's not going to mean anything to me because it's behind me. Here's what I've noticed. We tend to be stressed because there is a future that looks uncertain, and the moment we get past it, all that stress we had seems to be futile. It doesn't matter anymore. What if I told you this? What if I told you that no matter how bleak, depressing, and sad your circumstances look right now, I could guarantee you that on the other side of it, it was guaranteed to lead to Jesus fixing all the brokenness in the world, redeeming all of your suffering, and making you whole and new. Do you think it would put your circumstances in perspective? Not to say that there aren't real issues. I'm not trying to diminish those of you who are going through real issues. But do you not think that if you looked at the fact that all this was going to be redeemed one day, it would not trivialize some of our problems at least just a little bit? 
a lot. Um, sorry, no. God is sovereign, and if we trust that he is in control, that he's going to work all things for his glory, we can have the gift of peace even in our circumstances. And this leads us to our final point. Yes, we can even trust God and have peace with God in our suffering. Let's make this clear. All brokenness, sin, and evil, its root is Adam and Eve's betrayal. Evil, suffering, pain, we can call them for what it is. They are bad, broken things, right? But God redeems them. For those whom he loves, he redeems and uses even suffering as a tool to help us grow. We end this passage with not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. This is so countercultural. We actually have entire worldviews that are based on the idea, you should avoid suffering at all costs. That is what life is about, trying to make your life more fun, less suffering. In fact, I'll be honest, one of the wisest people of all time has fallen for this trap. This person's name is, of course, Yoda. For those of you who don't know, Yoda is the wise Jedi from the famous movie Star Wars. And one day, he is giving counsel to a little boy. And he says to that little boy, fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. And hate leads to suffering. Notice how Yoda's been deceived. Because what he thinks is suffering is the result of bad actions that will eventually lead you to a dark place. Now, it's true. The Bible does warn us there are consequences for our actions. Yes, sin can lead to suffering. But moreover, more than not, the Bible, when it talks to suffering, is a starting place that every single person, good or bad, has to experience. Let's put it this way. If Jesus was perfect and he suffered, then suffering is a part of life that everyone has to experience. But the Bible does not say suffering is something to avoid, but in fact it says it is the starting point of transformation. That when we trust our suffering in God's hands, he can redeem it, important word, redeem it for our good. Seth introduced me to a theologian, I think Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he puts it this way. The trials and tribulations make the sufferer think of the Lord Jesus Christ again, the one he is always liable to forget. They do more. They send him to Christ. They make him pray to him. They make him spend more of his time with him and ask him for greater strength and understanding. You see, suffering requires us to grow closer and to depend on the Lord. And I'm not going to share my own story, because here's the reality. If you've been there, 
Every Christian I know who has gone through suffering, they will let you know that on the other side of it, they have seen how God's hand has helped them grow in character and hope. Talk to your friends around you. They, I am confident they will have a story where God redeems suffering to make them whole. But suffering does more than help us depend on Jesus. Suffering helps us understand Jesus. Because in order to understand God's love, we must understand his sacrifice on the cross. And the only way to understand his sacrifice on the cross is if we can understand suffering. My senior year in college, I last minute got a philosophy degree And my professors will all tell you I became obsessed with one question. It's called the problem of evil. How how could a good and loving God allow so much evil and suffering in the world? And if that is a question that intrigues you, trust me, I would love to nerd out with you and talk about all these philosophical ideas that I learned in my studies. Grab coffee with me sometime. But here's the thing. As much as I love thinking about those things, none of these ideas actually gave me any comfort. I got my comfort from evil and suffering because I learned that Jesus understands my suffering. That Jesus gets suffering even more than I do, and so I can learn to trust him with it. So, for example, there are times where I think of Jesus and God floating up in the cloud, right? And they're just enjoying all the joys of heaven, and here I am suffering, and I just want to yell out to God and be like, why are you doing this? And if he yelled back down to me, he said, just trust me, Andrew, I got you, as he's enjoying all the funds of heaven, I would be embittered. But that's not the gospel. Jesus isn't a floating God enjoying all the best things of heaven. Jesus is the God who came down to suffer on our behalf. And in fact, it is not Jesus who doesn't understand my suffering. It is I who don't understand Jesus' suffering. Because Jesus suffered more than any person. We have to remember about the Jesus who literally sweat blood as he prayed to the Father, if there's any way for me to save the world without dying on the cross, let it be. But the Father responded back to him in silence. The only way for Jesus to save us was to die that painful death. This is the Jesus who left all those comforts I was talking about so that he could be born as a little baby living in pig's food right, where the pigs would be fed. The same Jesus who literally had to flee to Egypt because people were trying to kill him. The same Jesus who had to deal with annoying siblings and parents and just annoying people who just couldn't get it. The same Jesus whose friends would betray him. One of his closest would literally hand him to his enemies. The Jesus for when he was trying to do good was mock humiliated and beaten. And then he died one of the most brutal, 
physical deaths on the cross. And as Matthew tried to express to us, it is more than just the physical pain, but there is a mental and spiritual pain that he died bearing God's justice against all of the sin and evil we have ever done, and that justice he received, we never as Christians, we'll have to experience. That is a pain that only Jesus knows and we can't fully understand and appreciate. When I think about the suffering that our God chose to endure for us, and I look at my suffering, because we all experience suffering, it's a part of life, I say, Lord, I trust you with it. Because if you wouldn't spare your own son from suffering... I can trust that you have good reason to not spare me from it. And this passage ends with, And hope does not put us to shame, because God has been, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Peace is a gift that comes from God, and if you're like me and you struggle with peace, we can be reminded that God's Spirit works inside of us. We can turn to the Holy Spirit, and we can ask him to give us peace in our salvation. To help us remember that our salvation is in God's hands, and not our own righteousness or even our doctrine. Thank you, Lord, for doing the work that lets me enter boldly into heaven. And we can turn to the Holy Spirit and ask him to give us peace in our circumstances, trusting that all things are leading the believer to the hope of Jesus' return, where he will one day redeem, heal, and fix all the brokenness of our current circumstances. We can turn to the Holy Spirit and ask him to give us peace in our suffering, that even suffering is a circumstance God uses to help his children grow, and particularly in knowing God's love towards us. And suffering is not only a part of God's plan, but it is the means to help us understand God's love and character, because without suffering, we cannot understand Jesus' work on the cross. With the help of the Holy Spirit that we turn to and pray to to help us grow, we can learn to grow in peace. So let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I do ask you, to gift us this peace that cannot come from our own striving, our own efforts, a peace that comes even when we are confused with the evil and brokenness of this world, that we trust you have a good plan for us. And as we wait patiently for your second return, let us go out with all the gifts, the love, the joy, the hope, and the peace so we can bring, be a light to the world around us. And you're very precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Andrew.